Please uh, turn again in your Bibles to Second Timothy. Um, we're going to uh, continue uh, from where we left off this morning uh, as we look again at Paul as he speaks to Timothy in Ephesus. Now, as we look at this, uh, Paul uses a, a very common literary device in order to make uh, a very profound point. Uh, It's a literary device that when preachers tend to use the same thing, nobody likes it. It's called repeating himself. And what we find here is that Paul is hammering home a message to Timothy. So, let's uh, have a think about what he actually says to us. Now, anyone who has been involved in any sort of gospel ministry of whatever type, I'm sure, can uh, testify to the paradox it brings to your life. On the one hand, you find yourself often often experiencing uh, great and incredible highs. Um, And you're left considering that there is nothing else on earth you would prefer to be doing. And yet, on the other hand, you find yourself confronted with many things in in the church, outside the church, uh, which would make you want to run away from it as far as possible. There are times uh, when we, we can see very clearly the gospel's transforming power in people's lives and our hearts leap with excitement when we see it. We find ourselves looking with hope for the future. And there are times when we witness the deep sinfulness, uh, the sinfulness of people and how they so quickly tear apart all that seems to have been achieved by their own evil and rebellion. And that's what gospel ministry is like. Certainly how I have experienced it. Like Solomon, we can say that with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more we learn of the gospel, the more we experience of it, the more we understand its joys and yet also come to see the woes that also come along with it. But why would anyone do such work? After all, there are no worldly benefits really to it, is there? It's all hard work. There's often no rewards. You give up a lot of things that that people would take for granted in a modern Western society. Low pay, no real job security, very long hours, plus the fact you work with the most sinful bunch of people on the planet, the church. Why do it? Why not give up and run away? Well, I think we can answer that in three very simple words. Because it's true. Because the gospel is true. And once you realize that, there's no, there's no getting away from it, is there? And I think what we find here in 2 Timothy is that Paul is writing to, to his young apprentice, someone who is experiencing this paradox. Timothy, as we looked this morning, I think is in danger of buckling onto the pressure of being uh, in ministry in Ephesus. And Paul is trying to encourage him and to explain to him to keep going with the work that he is doing in the church in Ephesus. Paul, of course, is in prison at the time of writing the letter, and all around him, the first and the second generation of the church is struggling. There is widespread persecution from the Roman Empire. It's tough saying Jesus is Lord in an empire that demands that you say Caesar is Lord. Not to mention the seductiveness of a pagan society 
which was seeking always to woo members of the church away, away from the true faith. And not only these, there are the internal issues, the widespread false teaching which was wreaking havoc in the church in Ephesus, which we know Timothy was sent to deal with. Then there were people who were starting to buckle. Church members, people whom Timothy and Paul had known. Look at what he says in verses 15 through 18. Paul talks of a widespread desertion from the church in Asia. And as Timothy knew, he would have known all about this. Ephesus was the capital, if you like, of that province of Asia. Probably these people had failed to stand by the apostle and so failed to stand by the gospel that the apostle preached. Paul mentions two in particular who seem to be uh, the ringleaders of this mass desertion. Yet he also gives Timothy an encouragement, the example of faithfulness in the midst of of apostasy. Onesiphorus was not ashamed of Paul or of his message. And notice how that theme in chapter 1 comes out again, that idea of being ashamed. Three times Paul uses it in that first chapter. He is calling his young apprentice in Ephesus not to be ashamed of him or his message. Even when all around him, all around Timothy are falling away, Timothy needs to guard this gospel. That's what Paul had told him in verses 13 and 14. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner, Paul would say. And then in chapter 2, we find Paul spelling out what Timothy has to do, how he is to guard this gospel, this good deposit that Paul has passed to him in the midst of all that is going on around him. So chapter 2, verse 1, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Firstly, Paul reminds Timothy of the origin of the gospel ministry he is called to. Now, it might sound incredibly silly to say it, but the origin is the gospel itself. The grace that is in Christ Jesus. Again, if we put ourselves in Timothy's shoes for a minute, we begin to realize that what Paul is actually saying here, Timothy, the overseer in Ephesus, an elder with widespread desertion from the church on Timothy's watch, false teaching spreading like gangrene in the church. What would our response be if we were in that position? I'm not cut out for this anymore. This obviously is not what I have been called to. Does the gospel really work? Why is this happening? Am I not doing a good enough job? Timothy was struggling. He looked around, he saw the problems, he begins to wobble. The internal problems, the pagan culture, the seductiveness of it all. And the culture around him in Ephesus. Remember, we talked about this morning, the goddess Diana was, the, of course, the huge cult in Ephesus. An erotic cult. To be somebody in this society, you needed to love sex, money, and power. And it was like the walls were closing in around Timothy. What was he going to do? Well, Paul reminds him. That the gospel ministry has its origin in the gospel itself. Timothy needs to be reminded that his strength 
did not lie in his abilities or his prestige in the society. His own eloquence as a great preacher, Timothy needed to realize that his age wasn't the factor that mattered. His outgoingness was not the issue. He needed to remember that he was in Christ. That the strength for the task did not come from himself, like we looked at this morning, but from the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember again how Paul addressed him in chapter 1, verse 9, who has, been sa- who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not, Timothy, because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. The grace that was given us in Christ Jesus before the very beginning of time. Timothy was called by God, elected before ages past, saved by this powerful gospel, the gospel of God's grace, which had called him out of darkness into the kingdom of God's own beloved son. This was the strength that he needed to remember. The gospel was why he was doing this. And the gospel would give him the strength to come through it. The power of God at work in him would see him through all this terrible trial. God's grace not only saves, but also enables. The old saying still rings true. If God brings you to it, he will see you through it. And Timothy needed to remember that. He needed to get the gospel perspective in his head again. It was far too easy when all about him was falling down to get distracted from that. He needed to look at Jesus, the one who transformed him and was continuing to do so. And it's the same for anyone who is involved in any sort of ministry. How easy it is when we look around all the different problems we could face, all the different problems that we might face, all the different issues, all the different scenarios. How easy to get wooed even by the love of the world again. How easy to become ashamed once more of the gospel. We all know such times, such troubles. Internal false teaching springing up, new perspectives on Paul here, denials of the atonement over here, questions about biblical authority over here, wonders about human sexuality, Not to mention an increasing hostile culture which doesn't like the gospel very much. Which doesn't like us saying that Jesus is Lord and not Muhammad or not Buddha. And what about all the wonderful pleasures of our society? Don't we just get a little tempted? A little tempted when we log on to Facebook and we look at all those friends from a previous life, previous unconverted life. Look at all the photographs of them enjoying themselves, indulging in all the hedonism of Western society. Don't we wonder, wouldn't it be nice to be back there sometimes? See, we can all be like Timothy. All the more reason for us again to remind ourselves, as Paul hammers this home, that it is the gospel of grace, God's grace that equips us for the task. It is where our strength lies. It is the gospel that calls us out of a pagan life and into new life in Christ. And it's that same gospel that equips us for the service that we now have. The first step of guarding the gospel is trusting it, believing it, resting in that grace that comes to us in Christ.
by the power of the Spirit who dwells within us. But secondly, we see Paul instructing Timothy of the necessity, the necessity of entrusting the gospel to others. Notice how he continues in verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Things were bad. Things looked bad. Widespread false teaching. Many drifting away from the gospel. How was the gospel going to have a future? And this was Paul's concern as he writes to this young elder, this young overseer in Ephesus. Not only does he need to encourage him, as we see he's in danger of giving up, but he also needs to give him a method for his ministry. How was Timothy hard-pressed, possibly even depressed, how was he going to make the gospel survive beyond the second generation church? How was he going to make sure that the gospel would be preached to the generations that would come after him? Answer? Pass the gospel on. What he heard from Paul, pass it on to faithful men who in turn would be able to teach others that same gospel. Again, look, we looked at the, the idea of a relay race. Paul has received the gospel. He passes it, this deposit on to Timothy. As he comes to the end of his life, he's in that Roman prison cell. He's chained up. His prospects are zero. He gives that deposit to Timothy. Now Timothy, with the baton in his hand, with this deposit of the gospel, what is he to do? As he has been trained by Paul throughout Paul's missionary journeys, as he has accompanied him in Lystra and Thessalonica and other places, Timothy has heard what Paul has preached. He has heard this gospel. And now he must in turn guard it. Guard it from false teaching. Guard it from being deluded or modified. But even more, and maybe importantly, make sure that he passes it on to others who in turn will be able to pass it to others. Who in turn will be able to pass it to others. And so on. Teach others. Train others that they might take the same gospel and preach it. So that it doesn't die out. After all, this is probably the most crucial part of guarding the gospel, is it not? Making sure that after we are gone, that the gospel is still known and still taught by others. And that, that's what was in Paul's mind. Timothy had a baton. Now he had to do something with it. And it wasn't a matter of just passing it on to any old person, but rather it was to be faithful men who will be able to teach others. Men who are reliable, able to teach. In Timothy's case, this would have included elders, members of the church, men who can be trusted, like the example he gave, Onesiphorus, men who were not ashamed. The people Timothy needed to look for were those who had both backbone to stand up for it and brains to preach it, to guard it. Timothy, if you like, was to set up his own theological school, if you want to put it that way, within a local church setting. 
In the first century, there weren't, wasn't the luxury of theological colleges or training courses. It was the job of the local church to train and equip men so that they could preach and teach and pass on this gospel. And in our day, it is no less vital with widespread false teaching and very, a whole lot, a raft of biblical confusion with competing worldviews, philosophies all around us, it is vital that local churches take the lead in teaching and in training the next generation of gospel workers, both male and female, we might add. We may believe in male leadership, but there is such a thing as women's ministry, and it is vitally important. For far too long, in my opinion anyway, the church has been caught in what we might term a Victorian model of ministry, where we expect men to come in one end of a theological sausage machine and come out the other a minister. And that is often not the way it works. In our local congregations, we need to be looking and training the next generation of faithful men who will be able to teach and train others in that same gospel. Now, I'm not against theological colleges at all. They have a very important place. But I think the fundamental principle of what Paul is laying down here for Timothy is a local church activity. The elders, the teachers in the church have a responsibility to train these, identify and train faithful men who will then preserve from error this gospel, preserve it from being twisted by unfaithful men and pass it on to the next generation, to those around them. But let me ask, is this a call? Is this a thing that we actually take seriously? It is a necessity for the gospel, plain and simple, to make sure that after we are gone, the gospel is still understood, still preached, still passed on. And the principle not only applies to the church, but I guess it applies to parents who teach their children, like Timothy himself was taught by his mother and grandmother. When this generation is gone, what happens to St. Peter's Free Church? What happens to the gospel witness in Dundee? You see, in my experience, most churches operate on a sort of autopilot. They just sit back and expect things to happen. But this is not something you can sit back and expect to happen, to come about overnight. This is a strategy from a man in a prison cell who's about to die. And it's a strategy which stretches over generations. And it has been incredibly successful. You and me are here today. Guard the gospel by passing it on to faithful men and women It is a long-term, time-consuming, labor-intensive task. It is discipleship extreme. And it's not something that we should primarily be hiring out to others. And that is especially theological colleges. In my experience, theological colleges train people to be theologians, not necessarily gospel workers. And I'm afraid there is a difference there. But then we see the need for endurance as well. 
Anyone who has been involved in gospel work will be able to tell you that the result of holding on to the gospel, the result of standing on the truth, will be hardship, persecution, and suffering in all its various forms and various manifestations. Suffering is to be expected. Jesus suffered, Paul suffered, and now Timothy is called to suffer for the gospel. Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Verse 3. Paul has already called Timothy to suffer. Again, notice this repetition. He is hammering home a point. He has called him to suffer for the gospel in verse 8. Now he says it again. Because Timothy, his apprentice, needs to understand that once you take up a leadership role in the church, suffering is part and parcel of the job. And not only Timothy needs to know this, but the people Timothy will train, who will come after him, need to understand it as well. To be part of gospel ministry, to be an elder, to be a teacher, to be a preacher, or whatever part you might play, is to suffer for the cause. When Calvin uh, was in Geneva, preaching there, uh, during the, the Reformation period, he trained hundreds Hundreds of young men, uh, and he sent many of them into France to plant underground churches. And of course, at that time, France was incredibly hostile to the gospel. And those young men went out knowing full well that martyrdom was probably a certainty. And Calvin sent them, and they continued to go. And this is the call that Timothy and those he trains need to see. As a leader, as a teacher, you are on the front line of the battle. Timothy needed encouragement. He needed to regain his focus on what he was about. And so Paul gives him three illustrations here of what, he means, what it means to suffer for the sake of the gospel. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who has enlisted him. Verse 4. The soldier's place is on the front line of the battle. And to that end, if he is to be a good soldier, he needs to be single-minded in what he is doing. To get entangled in civilian affairs for a Roman soldier was to come off the front line and to leave his post. Now let's be careful here. This does not mean that total withdrawal from the world so that we just sit in our own tiny little bubble That's not what he's talking about. If we were to go that far, then no leader would be able to be married or have a family or any sort of distraction. That's not the point Paul is making here. The soldier who goes after civilian engagements is guilty of abandoning his post or desertion in more modern terms. Was Timothy tempted to give up his post as a teacher on the front line? Timothy needed to focus on the job that he'd been called to do. The goal was to please the one who had enlisted him, that is Christ. Timothy had been called to this task, and now he needed to have courage. He needed to hold the line and wait for the enemy to come. He needed to be ready to give up on his dreams and ambitions and comforts, all the comforts that the world could offer, and be ready to fight for the gospel in a hostile world. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules in verse 5. In the first century games, it was required for every athlete to swear an oath 
saying that he would complete the required training for the event in the previous 10 months. And unless he had done this, they were not allowed to compete in the race. In other words, the athlete could not win the race by cheating. And for Timothy, he needed to understand that he could not cheat either. The athlete had to endure the trials of the training program and the hardships that went with it. Excuse me. So Timothy and those after him needed to see that they needed to be willing to suffer those hardships. There could be no cheating. And how easy it would be to cheat after all. How easy it would have been to water down the gospel a little bit. Make it more easy for people to swallow. Take the hard edges off it. So that you don't have to suffer so much. Been easy for Timothy to cheat. And to set an example for that next generation to cheat. And to not preach the whole gospel. Or an edited version that people prefer. And finally the hard working farmer. It is the hard working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Verse 6. Anyone who knows anything about farming will tell you it is hard work. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. It is long, hard slog. There is no short-term reward. The farmer must toil in working and in planting and in weeding and in watering until harvest arrives. And so Timothy needed to understand that in the gospel work there is no let up in the pressure. It is a sustained pressure. There are no quick fix solutions. No easy options. It is long term work. Especially when training the next generation. It will not happen in a week, in a year, in three years, in 30 years. Gospel work is hard. It's long term. And Timothy and those he trains need to understand this. And so do we. We live in a society and a culture which looks for easy ways and immediate gains. And in this work there are very few of any at all. It is strategic work. It does require us to plan and to think what we are doing and where we are going. It means using the resources God has provided wisely for the best possible advantage for the gospel. Let me ask some reflective questions. Are we really prioritizing the gospel and looking for able men and women to train and equip to carry on the work? Have we a strategic vision to see the gospel prosper not just now, but in the future? Are we prepared to give resources, to give effort, when we know we will see little reward? Are we tempted to cheat? Such questions and more must be considered when we think about what we need to be doing as a church. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. That was Paul's advice. Maybe that is something for the leadership. Maybe that is something that needs to be considered. Asking for wisdom and understanding in this area. Considering the areas that we need to think about in terms of our priorities, in terms of our vision. 
And finally and briefly, Paul then calls Timothy to remember his example. Remember Christ Jesus, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul hammers home the point again. He links gospel ministry, the gospel ministry that he has went through with his own present sufferings once more. I think most people would have got the message by now, and I think Timothy would have got it it as well. Faithfulness in this ministry, faithfulness in service to the gospel will result in, in suffering. It will result in hardship. It will cost. But it will be worth it. For Paul endures all. For him, suffering means that the if if for him suffering means that the gospel is proclaimed, then he willingly does it, so that the church might receive the salvation and the future glory that it is promised. That's what he says. And I can tell you that is a spectacularly big vision for a man in a Roman prison cell about to die. He is bound in chains, but he rejoices. Because the word of God is not bound in chains. It cannot be. No cell can prevent the spread of the gospel to bring life to God's people. To stop it multiplying. To stop it being proclaimed. And Timothy and us must share in this same pattern. We must be willing to suffer the hardships now, especially if we are in leadership. For it's only through the muck and grind of the present gospel ministry that we will finally graduate into that heavenly realms and glorious future that God has prepared for his people. It would be hard for Timothy. It would be hard for his church. It would be hard for the leadership. And it will be hard for us. Let me quote to you from Chris Green's commentary on Second Timothy for a moment. He says this. Contemporary, success-driven Christianity needs to learn this lesson as much as Timothy. In God's great plan, the message of the glorious king who suffered is best carried by a messenger who is chained like a criminal but is hoping for God's kingdom. If losing the chains means losing the gospel and keeping the gospel means keeping the chains would contemporary Christians make the right choice let me read that again contemporary success driven Christianity needs to learn this lesson as much as Timothy in God's great plan the message of the glorious king who suffered is best carried by a messenger who is chained like a criminal but is hoping for God's kingdom If losing the chains means losing the gospel and keeping the gospel means keeping the chains, would contemporary Christians make the right choice? Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also 
live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk. For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of Solace, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solace-cpc.org. Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.